Colossians chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 22 here in just a moment. How do two completely different things become one thing? We've been seeing throughout the book of Ephesians that a key component of our Christian identity is that being saved means that we are in Christ, literally. We are the church because we are His body. We live the way that we're called to in light of this fact that we are the ongoing presence, if you will, of Jesus in the world. We're blessed, chosen, adopted, redeemed, sealed, loved eternally by God in Christ through His Spirit. But just how far should we take this? What does it mean to be in Christ? Is there anything on the earth that we could look at in our world to get some some understanding of this union between us? And beloved, our God is so gracious and kind. He loves us in such a way that He has written the design into the very DNA of our world and into our lives here on earth that points us to precisely what it means to be in Christ. To show us just how close we really are to Him when He joins us by His grace to Himself. He is showing us that once we're in Christ, we are inseparable. Inseparable, beloved. We are one for all eternity. God gave the union of marriage to portray the depth and the terms of the union between Christ and His church. Let me pray. And we'll look at the text. Father, I ask for your mercy to be upon me this morning as I preach your word by your grace and power. Please be with me. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to be clear. Help my tone to be correct. And help me, Father, to speak the oracles of God and nothing else. Lord, I pray for your grace upon all who will listen this morning. And I pray that you would open every mind and heart to hear. And I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake among us. Amen. Verse 22 of Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife Loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. Isn't that an amazing statement? But nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Maybe the foundational standard for proper biblical interpretation is context. We have to know and respect the context of any certain text in order to interpret it properly. Context is especially, if that can be said, important here. While most of the attention in modern debate, of course, or for centuries, went to the command to wives to submit 
to their husbands. That's a very, particularly now, very unpopular, archaic, patriarchal, all the terms that go with it, anti-feminist thing. Don't forget what we just read last week in verse 21, however, first, when we think about context, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we cannot use verse 21 to undo the command of verse 22 to the wife to submit. It does not mean, verse 21 does not mean there's no difference in submission when it comes to marriage, but it does mean. So by the time we enter verse 22, what we need to be thinking when we see submit is that submission is always a matter of reverence for Christ, not reverence for a person. Wives do not submit to their husbands as to the Lord out of some reverence for their husbands, but out of reverence for Christ, her true husband. Jesus told us in Matthew 22, 29 and 30 that in the resurrection, that is in the final eternal state, marriage will no longer exist. It will pass away because the union we'll have there transcends marriage, goes deeper than marriage. The purpose of marriage, which we will discover Later, to foreshadow the union between Christ and his church comes to fulfillment in eternity when they're finally together. Once the substance has come, the shadow passes away. So marriage then is not ultimate. It's not ultimate. It isn't the most important thing in the universe. Redemption is the most important thing in the universe. Yes, wives are called to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, but just so we're clear, not because the man is above the woman. Men are not above women. We are both created in the image of God as equals. What follows here is not mainly having to do with males being above females. That is not the point of this text, but how submission to one another out of reverence for Christ works itself out for the wife and for the husband in the context of marriage. Later, next week, God willing, in the context of parenting and having children and our work life, the wife submits to her husband as to the Lord because in verse 23, so here's why, it's not because he's male. And just so we're clear, when I say gender today, I mean the two that exist. Male and female. Okay, that used to be science. Remember, we were anti, we were the anti-science people apparently. So when I say that, just remember that. Okay? And I'm not trying to be mean to people that are struggling with that. I'm saying just the word gender is very fluid now, unfortunately. When I say it, I mean male and female. Okay? I can't believe we have to say that, but here we are. Okay? So, the wife submits to her husband as to the Lord because in verse 23, The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So a husband's, I know it's talking to the wife here, but we hear in that the husband's first role in marriage in the text is to be the head of the marriage because Christ is the head of the church. So even there, notice that means even in this command that falls to the wife here, the responsibility for the maintenance and health of this relationship is going to fall primarily on the husband and on his care for his wife. We'll come to that. Now, I want to press this 
the relationship of Christ to the church is the reason the husband is the head of the wife in Scripture. It's why is the husband the head of the home? Because Christ is the head of the church. See, so we're not the primary issue here is not gender. We are what God made us. I'm a male because God made me male. Those of you that are female are female because God made you female. I, I don't have anything to brag about or hold over a woman. Right. I, I didn't have any say in my gender. God decided my gender. So nothing here in this text is is demeaning the woman. And I, I want to press that because I don't want the ladies, the wives, especially wives that have a difficult husband or an unsaved husband to just dial out here at the beginning and say, well, forget that. I can't. Right. I, I just please stay with me here. I want us all to notice also. That these words of submission, this command is in the context of marriage. Marriage. Women are not called by God's word in general to always submit to men. That is not biblical. That's false doctrine. There are, we all are called to submit to our elders in the church. And so that may be female and male. And, but even that is not like a wife is called to submit to her husband. That's something very unique and very different. Marriage is something uniquely significant in God's plan because he has this very specific design for it. He always does. It's when we go outside this design that we really hurt ourselves and dishonor him. And also notice this command in verse 22 shows the dignity of women. All scripture is inspired by God. Notice that God talks to wives as though they're also capable of hearing his word. He doesn't tell the husband to make his wife submit. The command comes to the wife. The Holy Spirit gave this command to wives, not to the husbands. That's very important because a husband can use it like that as a a rod to beat his wife with. Right. You're supposed to submit to me. It is not again. It is not husbands. Make your wife submit to you. And don't worry, men. I'll pick on the wives in a minute. No, that, that that's that's not the way it works. Right. That, that's seriously. It's not the way it works. A Christian wife is spoken to by God like she is just as much a member of the body of Christ as her husband is. And this is how she uniquely as a wife fulfills her role of submission to Christ when it comes to her marriage. Right. Look at verse 24 again. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. It wouldn't have been strange at all, really, rightly, wrongly, or indifferently, for the women in Ephesus to hear a wife is supposed to submit to her husband. That was pretty normal in this culture, but for non-divine reasons. Men just mostly were put themselves above women. What would have been crazy to hear is that they were submit to their husbands as to the Lord. The minute God inspires that, the law accuses That's the first function of the law when you read this, right? As to the Lord, submit to him as to the Lord, right? You can imagine being a wife and hearing that because they know us. And they know that Lord is not a great title for us, but submit as to the Lord. That their husbands were their head like Christ was the head of his church. That would have been crazy to hear. That they were supposed to submit in everything to their husbands because this is how the church was supposed to submit to Christ. Now, 
I don't know every wife here, but I imagine none of you look at your husband every day and say, he is just like Jesus. Right? I'm so lucky to have this man. Thank you, God. It is so easy to submit to him. Right? No, no. Wives are usually ready to sign papers when we use the wrong hand towels or when we, you know, forget to take out the trash, which happens. We're human. Mistakes happen. Sometimes we forget to take out the trash. And sometimes we see it and don't want to take it out. So I understand that we are difficult. But how does a wife look at her husband? Imagine, if you can, gentlemen, being a wife, and of course wives hear it to you, hearing submit to this sinful, broken, imperfect, often difficult man as you would to the Lord in everything. What if your husband isn't worthy of submission like that? As will always be the case. This is where it's critical to remember that it's not because of his maleness that you submit to him. It's not his status above you. It is out of your personal reverence for Christ. You trust him. You believe him. You know that he is for you. So when he gives you a command, you obey it. That's why, not because of your husband. The husband will rarely, if ever, be worthy of this level of submission. But again, you aren't doing it for him. You are called to it out of reverence for Christ. So a Christian wife has to have her eyes fixed on Christ in order to obey what the Lord calls her to here. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of all submission in everything. But notice the point of reference now. This is very important in verse 24. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Clearly, this does not mean a woman should submit to her husband's headship if he tells her to sin. If he tries to make her sin or rebel against God. Why? Because Jesus would never do that to the church, right? Nor does this mean something like a woman... Um, has to stay if she's being beaten or abused or if the children are being abused. At the very least, she can separate in a situation like that until, unless and until the husband repents and genuinely changes, right? Which we will need grace for this and the church's help for this. But the words in everything do carry weight, wives. They do. God inspired them. In other words, wives... It would need to be a clear reason like that for you to have a general attitude of non-submissiveness to your husband. It sounds so offensive, doesn't it? So demeaning, but it, it, this is coming from God through Paul. You would never obey this for your husband's sake. You would never obey this for your pastor's sake. This is for Christ. It shows the world how much we trust Christ, how valuable Christ is. And in the church, it shows one another how valuable Christ is, which seems to be the main point here. This doesn't just speak to the depth of our union with Christ, verse 24, but to our union with one another. Because a wife takes her cues in submission to her husband from the church's submission to Christ. Do we know, do we grasp what that means? If the church isn't submissive to Christ... The marriages in that church will 
suffer. We are uniquely joined to one another, beloved. Even when we hurt one another and offend one another and confuse one another, we are one. That's why it hurts so much to do that. Right? Because when we're against one another, we're against ourselves. We hurt ourselves. That's why church conflict hurts so much. We're just hurting ourselves. That's why marital conflict hurts so much. As we'll see, we're just hurting ourselves and the other person. In the local church, and nationally speaking, one of the reasons marriage in our culture as a whole is held so cheaply, and more often than not, unfortunately, ends in divorce, is that the church of Jesus Christ is, generally speaking, rebellious and not submissive to Him. And therefore, a wife doesn't know where to look to understand what submission in a marriage looks like. She's supposed to take her cues from the church. And if we aren't submissive to Christ, we're hurting individual marriages. Do you feel the weight of God's law here and what He's commanding and the implications of breaking it even inside the church and how inextricably bound even to one another we all are? The church needs to look at itself in the mirror. When the church is filled itself with divorce and remarriage and tumultuous, difficult marriages, we're all sinners, like really good sinners. So there will always be difficulty in marriages. Yes, absolutely. And there are even more reasons, biblical ones, that marriage will always have difficulty in it. But to the degree that it depends on us, we are responsible for peace. Christ takes our union with Him very seriously. And His commands to us very seriously. And we generally do not. And so when we aren't fulfilling our role as a church properly, a wife doesn't know how to fulfill her role as naturally. And of course, neither does the husband. What we must not seek ourselves, beloved. We, we are not a people unto ourselves anymore. That's what it means to join a church. Yes, other people, when you link arms with them, will slow you down. You could also help them speed up just as they could help you. In my own family, I hear this all the time. I, I, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. And the people in the church hurt me and they drove us away. And I look, I get it. I understand that. But the people in the church also have to deal with you. It's not just them. It's also me. Right? I bring my baggage in here. I bring ideas in here that can hurt others and weigh down on others. We all do this to each other. You can't leave the church and say, I don't like the people. You're the people. You're criticizing yourself when we do this. Just as it works in a marriage, this is what it means to be one with one another. To the degree that we're willing to hurt each other to serve ourselves and bite and devour one another to serve ourselves, even though Christ has told us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So wives hear that. It's not like the husband is never told to submit to anything and he just runs the world. No, 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 no. Not at all. We're not just, we don't just hurt the person in front of us. We're doing damage to the fidelity of marriage in the church. And so if we really want to help improve each other's marriages and see each other thrive, we desperately need to submit to Christ as His church. We, we tend to push this away. 
you need to go to a class. And classes can be helpful. But more than anything, what we need is each other. Each other, loving one another, bearing one another's burdens, confessing our sins to one another, learning together what it means to submit to Christ. And submission is very hard, beloved. It does not come naturally to any of us from conception on. Again, I use this example all the time, but try to change the diaper of a baby or put a winter coat on a baby. We learn before we're even taught that if we don't want it, we throw a fit, right? That's natural. And Jesus doesn't make submission any easier here because we know each other, right? We know each other as not worthy of this level of submission. And particularly here, a wife knows that her husband is not worthy of what the Bible calls her to. So the wife will need grace and patience and endurance. And the wife will need to die to herself also. Not not every, uh, not all the admonition here goes to how submission is just difficult for the wife. God does command this, and headship is also very hard for the husband. Like submission is hard for the wife, because often the wife being a sinner will reject her husband's leadership, will not want to submit to his headship. When a wife then becomes the head of the home or head of the marriage, even when she does it secretly. You all know that saying, uh, the husband is the head of the home, but the wife is the neck that turns the head. That's Satan talking. When a wife is the head of the home, the marriage is out of order. Who Christ is in that marriage is blurred, right? Because the roles of the people in it are blurred. It won't be healthy. It won't thrive. Wives, you will have to repent of your selfishness your desire to lead, your desire to get your way, your desire to run everything also, those things will have to be repented of by the wife. Again, because you're submitting as the husband is supposed to be to Christ. To Christ. Never forget, beloved, this is very, very important here. Never forget that marriage has been cursed by God. In Genesis 3, 15 and 16. Why do we think it's going to be easy and roses and chocolates and happy walks in the park every day? Or even once a week, right? It's been cursed by God. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, God put enmity between us. Enmity that isn't going away until the resurrection. This Purely, exclusively romantic, dreamy idea of marriage and the expectations that go with it has to be put to death on the altar of reality and what God has done here. This is people, we forget this because we say things like, well, I just, I just don't feel blank, 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 blank anymore. I just, I, I, my, the best one, which nobody knows what this means. I love you, but I'm not in love with you anymore. Okay. But that apparently is a reason to fold up shop and walk away because of feelings, right? And I know there's all kinds of things that affect feelings, but I'm saying, do feelings decide whether or not a marriage stays together? We cannot save each other. We cannot complete each other. We don't have, our, our, our spouse is not our soulmate. 
That they don't meet our needs or fulfill us like that. If we try to get that from them, we will hurt them because they can't provide it, right? So instead we look to Christ who provides everything. And then we know how to love our spouses and submit to and lead them as Christ does. We are at enmity with each other, beloved men and women, specifically here husbands and wives. And it comes out the most that enmity in this innate desire we have, both of us, to reverse the roles in a marriage. Adam was cursed for what? Listening to the voice of his wife at the tree. In other words, his sin that threw humanity into sin and death was letting her dictate to him what should be done in the matter of obeying or disobeying God. Here, eat this fruit. Adam should have said, and hindsight is twenty twenty. none of the men here would have said it either. No, we, we, what did you do? What did you do? You, you ate the fruit. I'm going to have to die for you now because you're supposed to die because you broke the law. He didn't do that. You, you see the fundamental sin that threw everything into sickness and, and death was a husband not being a husband. A husband dies for his wife, even when she's wrong. Well, guess what? No husband is that great. Except Christ. And so there's enmity ever since. Ever since. And the curse God has put on us both in Genesis 3.16 is that the woman would desire to rule over her husband. And God has made the husband the head of the marriage. So often in marriage... Then the curse, the enmity works itself out like this. The, the, the woman wants to lead or the wife wants to lead and be the head. And just like Adam, the man desires to let her and forsakes his role and responsibility because it's harder to lead than it is to submit. So instead of dying for his wife, he kills his wife and says, you know what? You bear the brunt of leading this family. That way we can blame everything that goes wrong. On you, and then I'll complain that you nag all the time, right? So, beloved, don't worry. When when we read through this passage, don't worry first about one gender being over the other here. That's not the point here at all. Fix your eyes on God and His Word and trust Him, even when, especially when, it's contrary to our natures. That's when we need Christ even more, if that's right to say Right. When it's when it's when we don't want to listen, to obey, when we don't trust him. Now the text gets really interesting. We think the wives have it hard and they do. Wives, you do. But the husband. Listen to verses 25 to 30 again. Husbands. Love your wives. Here's their as. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, not even the person that commits suicide is hating their flesh. They're loving it so much they want to die so it will quit being hurt, right? 
No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. So notice, first of all, that the majority of the instruction in the text comes to the husband. The lion's share of instruction here. The wives get one straight command and one example. Husbands get basically six verses here. Notice, first of all, that, uh, or I'm sorry, that means, brothers, that our responsibility is much greater and much more serious. Jesus is carrying all the weight of redemption and to keep the promises when it comes to him and the church. It's all on him. Now, our referring as a husband for headship, we emulate Christ. We emulate Christ. They get the church as their example, husbands. We get Christ. Again, the wife takes her cues on submission from the church. We take our cues on love from Jesus, the perfect husband. If a wife is accused when she hears the command to submit, accused because she doesn't always obey it, is what I mean. So if a wife is accused by the command to submit, let us husbands be doubly accused by the command to love as Christ loves. Who is sufficient for such a thing? Well, so, so as the head of the home, how am I supposed to be? How do I lead? What do I do? Well, how did Christ love the church? That answers our question. And here it's very specifically described, his love for the church. He gave himself up for her, first of all. Gave himself up for her. So in some sense, leading means giving up your rights. I hope, Ladies, I hope you hear that too. And that's not for you to take advantage of your husband. But I'm saying don't think that God is just trying to hurt women. The first example the husband gets is that he gave himself up for her. Read Philippians 2 about Jesus and what he gave up to save and to show his love for his church. So this is not a, this this is not as a scripture something threatening to the woman. It is meant to give her such a level of care that she never feels afraid or empty. Not because she's less than us, but beloved, the Bible does call her the weaker vessel. No man crushes a vessel because it's weaker than he is. A man takes a vessel that's weak in his arms to help it. That's what a man does. Of course, everywhere you look, you see men not doing this and men being sinful. Right. Let the text always drive us to Christ, even in the commands, because he's the only one that keeps them. He gave himself up for her. And notice this, please. When you think about us, each one of us as the church, Jesus didn't give himself up for us because we were worthy of that. He didn't give himself up for us because we had earned such a gift from him or because the church was so great and the church was always faithful. No, no, no. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's when Jesus gave himself up for us. Sin, as the Bible 
paints it so often as spiritual adultery, which means Jesus died for his wife while she was cheating on him. So no husband is spiritually mature enough to be consumed with his wife's lack of submission. He needs to focus on his own heart and the ways we fall woefully short of this command to us every single day. We don't have time to be worried about whether or not our wife submits properly. We're called to love her like Christ loved the church. And Christian wives, just as your husband cannot use himself as the frame of reference for your submission as to whether or not you should submit to him, neither can you use yourself as the frame of reference for his love. You can't say to your husband, use it like a rod against him. You're supposed to love me as Christ loved the church and Christ died for his church. So I get the shoes, right? Or whatever it is. That's a silly example, but you're not sinning when you ask when you want shoes. That's not what I meant. But you, you get the point, right? You can't use each other. Like because you're not blank, I don't have to follow this. No, 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 no. Sometimes wives are unlovable. Husbands, sometimes it's hard to love your wife, let alone love her with the perfection of the love of Jesus. I know that sounds harsh, but like, is it really a shock to us that people are not easy to love? Not if the frame of reference for love is Jesus. Love like that? I can love my wife, right? I can have feelings for her, but this? To love her with the perfection of the love of Jesus? People are not easy to love, especially people who tell you they don't know what they want to eat. And then you pick a place and they say, well, I don't want that. That's very hard to. <laughs> Marriage is hard. I know that's a funny example. Marriage is hard. OK, and I'm th- look, I'm not up here speaking because my wife is such a bane to my existence. Th- th- there is nothing in my let me say this very clearly. And I mean this with every fiber of my being. There is nothing tangible in my life of God's grace and love for me as the woman he has given me to be my wife and my children. Nothing so tangible as that. So I'm not. But listen, if you backed either of us in a corner, I know it's hard to imagine that the preacher is hard to be married to. But he is. Okay, he is. Marriage is hard. So every husband and every wife needs to respect what the Bible is saying to us here, to us husbands, to love her like Christ. Do we know what this means, brothers? Brothers, there will never be a reason for us, from God's perspective, to stop loving our wives, ever. Or to discard her because we want something different than her. Jesus died for the church To change the church. When Jesus saw fault in us, what did he do? He didn't kill us and he didn't leave us. And he didn't trade us in for a better model. He came and he lived and he bled and he died for us. To make us into what we ought to be. He died to sanctify his church and cleanse her and wash her with his word so that she would be perfect for him. Exactly how he wanted her to be in verse 27. Flawless. Because 
He loved her and cherished her so much. So, brothers, when our wives are distant or estranged or set against us, what do we do? Again, do we throw in the towel? Do we trade her in? No, we die for her. Die for her. We give ourselves up for her. And gentlemen, I'm telling you, if we would do this, we'd win her to us. Right? She, 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 would, I, I, she would want to submit to a man that she knows would literally not just bleed and die for her, but give up his life for her. Give up things for her. Right? That's what it means to be the head. In this context. We need Jesus so much. Because you hear me saying that. And and let's say, husband, that you have a very difficult wife. Maybe she's really hurt you or done something awful to you. Or is just generally can't stand you. Or is resentful of you or something. And so you think, really? Really? Like, does, does God think all women are perfect? No, he died for us because we're not. It isn't about the woman being above the man either. But in our minds, husbands, our wife is on a pedestal. And God help us. Right? God help us. Verse 28. In the same way. So there it is. If you think I'm crazy. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Jesus loves the church as well as he does because we're his own body. Now, this is kind of confusing because his love for us is also then self-preservation. And that automatically feels selfish. Like you're loving me so that you're whole. It's not selfish if that kind of love is the source of our eternal benefit. Right? Think about what it means for how Jesus looks at us if we're his bride when you read verse 28. Just be comforted that he wrote that to known sinners like you and me. And this is how he loves us. We are so much a part of him. Our union is so real. Our oneness is so real and true. We're so truly indeed his body. He takes it so literally that he would never hate us or hurt us. Because he would be hating and hurting his own body, himself. That is how deep our union with Christ goes. So brothers, husbands, look to Christ. And men that want to be husbands, look to Christ. I knew a youth pastor, it's not Jacob, years ago, who is single to this day. He's in his 60s now. Looks like my aunt, which is really weird. He said at a men's breakfast, this was in 1993, when I marry a woman, the only thing that's changing uh, is her last name. Do you believe he's still single? (laughs) I believe he hasn't found anybody yet. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, exactly. For no one, in verse 29, look to Christ because no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. We don't hate our wives 
when they go wrong. We nourish and cherish them. Our wives are our own flesh. That's what it means to get married. Don't marry someone you don't love. Don't marry someone you don't want to be physical with. Don't marry someone that there are things they do that you hate so much it makes you not stand them. You want to, like, if at 46 I can offer some piece of practical advice, marry the person you are okay with annoying you for the rest of your life. Right? Now, marriage is way better than that. It's way better. I'm simply saying, if, if like, the way they chew makes you want to stab your eye, don't marry them. Okay? Unless you can get over it. Because they're going to chew your whole marriage. Alright? They're going to need to eat. So... That's a pretty terrible example, but you know what I mean. And wives or husbands, we are called to lead like Christ, to love like Christ, to nourish like Christ, and to cherish like Christ. Wives or potential wives, when you are tempted by Satan to doubt God's love and God's wisdom in a command like, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, Please keep reading and listen to Jesus speak to you. Submit to your own husband as to the Lord is to submit to this kind of love, the love of Christ, in what Jesus is telling your husband to give to you. So you're being told to submit to a man who's been told to love you like he loves his own church. Not just submit to this man, he's male. No, 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 no. God loves women so much. And he loves men so much. And he says to a woman who joins herself to a man to become one flesh, I'm not calling you to submit to trash. I'm calling you to submit to a man who's been told to love you like I love my church. And no, it doesn't always happen and rarely happens. But know that the command comes because he loves you. God does not want to harm a wife, he wants to shelter and protect wives. So he tells the husband, you're the head. And what I mean by that is, you're going to be like Christ to her. So the minute we hear you're the head and think, ah, my way. No, no, no. No, he died for us. Left heaven for us. Every advantage he had, he didn't use to his advantage. So that's not what our headship is for, gentlemen. Jesus has never been a poor savior to me. He's never given me reasons not to submit to him. Even when I was sure I was right. Beloved, we, the church, are members of his body. Everything God is doing and commands in this world is to point us to our need for the provision of our perfect savior. Who is the husband to all of us. Believers, we are his bride. Now, as we In the passage here, what scripture reveals here shows us that Jesus didn't get the idea for how he wanted to love us from marriage. God didn't look at that and say, you know what, Jesus, we could use that metaphor. No, no, no. Marriage was created by God to show us how Jesus loves and has always loved his church. Look at verse 31. Therefore, because we're members of his body, right? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis there. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ 
and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, first of all, when did God the Father decide to love us in his son? When did God decide for us, according to Ephesians chapter 1? Before the foundation of the world. It was in this love that he predestined us to be in his family. Marriage was created after that as this one flesh union because of the love God already had in Christ for his church. That's why marriage exists, even though it will never properly display it. That's why it exists. Marriage exists to show us the profound mystery of the union between Jesus and his church, mainly. It's big enough mystery that a husband and a wife, a man and a woman become one flesh, but it's way more a mystery, a profound one, that Jesus and the church become one flesh. Sinners united with divinity. And we don't become gods, but we are in Christ. Marriage gives us a picture, a very intentional one. Whether it's a Christian marriage or not, the people are still one flesh. Notice, and notice this, this Genesis that he quotes here does not say a man and a woman shall leave their parents. Have you ever noticed that? It doesn't say that. But that a man shall leave his parents and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Why? Of course the woman is leaving her parents too. So why did he say just to the man that the man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they become one flesh? This is a profound mystery, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Well, what did Jesus do to unite himself once and for all, forever to us? What did he do? He left home. Left the glory of heaven, his Father and the fellowship of the Trinity, to cleave himself forever to a faithless, troublesome, unsubmissive, rebellious wife. Jesus has always been. He is not created. He is the second person of the Trinity, God, the Son, eternal, immortal. And now he is also man forever, eternal, immortal, risen from the dead. He attached us to himself forever to the degree that we would be called one flesh with him. Saying that we are his body is not just a nice thing for the church to say, and it is, but beloved, the body of Jesus. The body of Jesus. And by his love, not by force, not by raising his voice, not by abuse, not by taking advantage, but by giving up his very life, washes her, cleanses her, makes her beautiful. Not because he thinks she's ugly, but because he loves her so much. Right? If, if, if when you look and see a person's faults and just say, I need to clean you up, you're gross, that's not love. When you look at a person's faults and say, I will die to wash that away, that is love. That is love. What, am I not perfect the way I am? No! You're not, and neither am I. Goodness sakes, why do we all think we're floating so high above each other? You don't expect me to change. Really? You're perfect? Beloved, 
No, the, the, the mystery of two becoming one is profound because it's the picture of how Christ becomes one with sinners. Paul says that refers to Christ and the church. Something happens to a man and a woman when they join in marriage. They become one flesh. They're still two people. The husband is not the wife and the wife is not the husband. But when God looks, he sees one person for all intents and purposes. That's too high above us to grasp all the implications of perfectly, isn't it? That's why he calls it profound. It it really can't be grasped. So Paul gets very practical then in verse 33. However, right after he said this is a profound mystery. So basically, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. However, is a funny word there because it's as if Paul is saying to look, even though this is really hard to grasp and really profound and heavenly and above our understanding. Don't worry about understanding it. Because then you won't do it. Trust the Lord. Husbands, you know what you need to do? Love your wife like you love yourself. Self-love is always assumed in the Bible. Love your wife like you love yourself. And because why does he, because then you won't hurt her. Right? And wife, you respect your husband as the head of your home because Jesus has you and you'll be okay. Beloved, when both the husband and wife are doing this, when both ask forgiveness from each other, when both refuse to always think the worst of another's intentions, intentions, when both focus on their calling rather than the other's shortcomings in their calling, both are safe, both are loved, both are respected, both are cared for and valued. What shapes the design of marriage, including how a husband is called to love and a wife is called to submit, is who Christ is for his church. He is our head. So you won't deepen in marital intimacy or closeness and thrive by focusing on the differences you have as men and women. Right? Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Yet we're different. Like that, that gets you published now. I don't, right? So don't, that's, that's not where the answers are. Figuring out what's wrong with this noob in front of you. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. He is our head at all times in every situation. We submit always to Him and never once has He abused us or hurt us or disregarded or devalued us. Never once has He used His authority and hardship or His headship to do us wrong. And lead us into sin or death. And this is the lens through which we both, husbands and wives, must view our marriage. Please let me say a few more things and then I'm done. God gave the union of marriage to portray the depth and terms of the union between Christ and His church. Beloved, Jesus came and sought us, His bride. We were enslaved. We were in prison. We were dead and dying. And he came to rescue us. Every myth is based on this. With his life, he made us righteous. With his blood, he washed away our sin. With his resurrection, he guaranteed our union. And with his promise, he is preparing an eternal reception that will surpass them all, no matter how grand. The profound mystery here is how two become one. How do a man and a woman 
become one flesh. They join together by promise and intimacy. And while both remain distinct from one another, they're also inseparably bound as one. One no longer exists or can exist apart from the other. This is the weight of one fleshness. Men and women have lots of differences. A husband and wife have many things in common, but then they have even more things not in common, probably. Styles differ. Tastes differ. Affections and emotions and preferences differ. How we respond to things versus how they do. What we value, what we enjoy, on and on it goes. But when we are married, everything about these two identities is absorbed into one. You say, well, what if my spouse is not saved? You are still one flesh. And since both of the two who become one are sinners, there will be conflict and tension and difficulty and strife and suffering. So more marriages end in divorce than last, statistically speaking. But this difficulty is not a reason to divorce. It's a reminder that Jesus and his word are better and reliable. In God's mercy, even the faults of our spouse point us to Christ. So how is marriage between two sinners, even when there are Christians and do try hard, how then is marriage such a good picture of Jesus' love for his church if it's so flawed? Marriage is so difficult and there's so much divorce, right? How does this, how does marriage help us see Jesus? Because nothing our spouse does, even if they sign papers to leave us, separates our flesh in the eyes of God. Now, I know that can be confusing, even hard, if we've been divorced and remarried in particular, right? So what are you saying, Tony? I thought I was one flesh with my new spouse and no longer was with my old. And that's true, that we are one flesh with whoever we're married to. On earth, we're no longer one flesh with a former spouse and are with the one we're married to now. But beloved, from God's perspective, we will always be one flesh when we're married And yes, I know it's confusing and maybe even disappointing or hurtful. Okay, to hear that. Doesn't mean that person owns you or has any rights over you. Not at all. Especially they hurt you. Don't be burdened by that. Just please listen to me. Let us all now take our eyes to Christ and what we're being told here. Beloved, when God set his affections on us in eternity past and chose us and made us his own in love, he knew everything about us. Believer who has struggled in their past with marriage and has a record they wish nobody could see. Do you know where you are this morning? As in Christ. As a person who's been married to their spouse for 65 years and has never even had an argument. You are in Christ. You are not defined by your past. You are not the sum total of the choices and the mistakes you have made. Not in Christ. Not in Christ. Please be released of that. Please be released of that. People hold our mistakes over our head forever. Jesus nailed our mistakes to the cross 2,000 years ago and hasn't remembered them since. All our failures, all our regrets and disasters, He loved us when we were like that and covered all of them. So please don't hurt if your past is a mess. Please, nothing here will ever be whole and perfect. God doesn't require that from you. In Christ, he will make all things new, even you and I. Don't hurt. Jesus has you. And these 
cuts go deep, but Jesus has you. Don't ever forget that. It's so hard to understand here, one fleshness. It really is. It's a profound mystery, but here's what isn't confusing, even if it's really hard to believe. To be one flesh with Christ is irrevocable. That's the point. Right? Again, yes, marriage is your one flesh. Yes, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Yes, the wife is to submit to her husband as to the Lord. That's all intention, right? Guess what we do? We, we mess it up. We break apart. We divorce. We fight. We can't stand each other or whatever, right? So the intention is not what the reality is. But the reality is what the reality is. The reality points us to Christ. And with Him, we are one flesh forever. And nothing can sever this bond. Nothing. Not what you have done and not what has been done to you. So this morning, before I actually hit 60 minutes, rest in Christ. Rest in Christ. This mystery is profound, but it's true. Jesus will never divorce us, never get tired of us, never change his mind about us and pursue someone else. He died and rose again for us, for you, for his bride. And we are one flesh with the Son of the living God. Receive his promise. It is yours for the taking. Jesus has betrothed himself to you for eternity. Rest in Christ. Would you stand, please?